Hello, and welcome to Notes on the Week Ahead, a JP Morgan Asset Management podcast that gives you insights on the markets and economy to help you stay informed for the week ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at JP Morgan Funds. Today is January 24th, 2022. On Saturday, at an average home on an average road in Maplewood, New Jersey, the realtor staged an open house. Even for a January, this was a rare event, and parking was at a premium as dozens of mostly young couples lined up outside, braving both cold and COVID. There was a whiff of desperation in the air as the multitude assessed its own numbers. The more experienced in the crowd, though well-armed with bank pre-approvals and hefty down payments, shared in the general pessimism, knowing that the property would go quickly and for well above asking. The 21st century has seen a wide variety of housing markets with massive booms and busts. However, never in all of these years have there been so few properties on the market. In December, according to the National Association of Realtors, homes for sale hit a record low of just 910,000. This compares to 2.5 million homes in the average month in 20 years before the pandemic and 2.2 million homes in the average December over the same period. The pandemic has clearly contributed to this shortage. Again, according to the National Association of Realtors, new listings of residential property, which had averaged just over 5.2 million units annually from 2017 to 2019, fell to 4.5 million units in 2020 and 4.3 million units in 2021. The pandemic likely deterred many potential home sellers, both for medical reasons and the general uncertainty it caused. Lack of inventory also begets lack of inventory. Many people are understandably reluctant to sell their old home if they doubt their ability to find a new one. Beyond pandemic effects, weak home building in recent years has contributed to today's housing shortage. From a peak of almost 2.1 million housing starts in 2005, starts plummeted to under 600,000 in 2009. They have risen in every single year since, reaching 1.6 million units last year. However, years of low building activity cut the stock of year-round vacant homes from 10.9% of all housing units in 2009 to just 8.0% by the end of 2020, with a slight recovery to 8.2% by the third quarter of last year. The 2009 peak reflected a bubble mentality, and a reasonable equilibrium level is undoubtedly much lower. However, 8.2% is likely too low and will take years of strong home-building activity to get back to a more balanced market. On the demand side, while low immigration is limiting the growth in the number of households, low mortgage rates and a boom in financial markets has boosted the financial capability of many potential home buyers, leading to spectacular price increases. Indeed, the average price for an existing single-family home sold in December was up 9.6% year-over-year and 20.4% over the prior two years. While sellers can celebrate this trend, it is of course negative for home buyers and probably exacerbates wealth inequality trends within the United States. So how will all of this play out? The next year should see the return of some balance as homes held back from the market during the pandemic are finally listed. Higher mortgage rates, courtesy of Fed tightening, should tame the growth in home prices. Meanwhile, home builders will likely ramp up activity to take advantage of a hot market. All of this being said, shortages of building supplies and construction workers will constrain the growth of new houses and it will take some time to absorb all of today's discouraged house hunters. The bottom line is that while we may now be passing the extremes of low inventories and high price increases, absent a recession, the long road back to normal could keep home building strong for years to come. Of course, the housing market is only one small part of today's economic picture. 
On the pandemic, the good news is that confirmed cases appear to have peaked nationally and are falling quite fast in the northeast. This still suggests that barring an even more contagious variant, the pandemic could subside over the course of the next two months, allowing more normal social activity to resume. The bad news is that Omicron has clearly inflicted a significant hit on the economy in January. While we expect this Thursday's report to show real GDP growth of close to 7% annualised in the fourth quarter, this could slip to just 1% annualised in the first. We also believe that Omicron is hurting the labour market, and last week's increase in unemployment claims could be sustained in this week's report. Moreover, the January jobs report, due out at the end of next week, should show some weakness and underscore the huge absentee problem caused by the latest COVID wave. We also expect this Friday's data to show year-over-year PCE inflation of 5.7% overall and 4.8% excluding food and energy, both far above the Fed's long-term target of 2%. The Fed will hold its first meeting of the year on Tuesday and Wednesday. Despite high inflation, we don't expect a policy move this week, as it really is too soon to tell how the latest pandemic wave has impacted the economy. However, we expect the Fed to set the table for an end to quantitative easing and a first 25 basis point hike at their March meeting. In addition, Chairman Powell may well shed further light on the timing and potential pace of quantitative tightening, which we now expect to begin later this year. For markets, the Fed's growing hawkishness is a clear warning sign of higher long-term interest rates ahead. Inflation is now running at an almost 40-year high, and the Fed's actions in recent years have clearly fueled speculative asset bubbles across financial markets. In previous tightening episodes, the Fed could well have argued that it only had power to control short-term interest rates, However, the Fed's balance sheet now contains $5.7 trillion in treasuries and $2.7 trillion in mortgage-backed securities. Given the size of these assets relative to the respective markets, the Fed surely has the ability to boost long-term rates as much as it wants, just by adjusting the pace at which it reduces its holdings. Economic historians in the decades to come will likely conclude that the Federal Reserve kept long-term interest rates too low for too long after the great financial crisis, thereby contributing to asset bubbles and eventually more general inflation. However, that being said, the Fed needs to be careful not to overdo it at this stage. The classic monetary mistake is to overreact late. Provided the Fed can avoid this, a steady increase in long-term interest rates in a slow but steady economic expansion could gradually resolve the asset bubbles and relative valuation distortions that pervade financial markets today. For investors, the key will be to focus on those areas of markets such as US value stocks and international stocks which have not been caught up in the fed fueled frenzy and maintain broad diversification in case something goes wrong with the Fed's attempt to achieve a soft landing of a pretty unbalanced economic plane. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your JP Morgan representative. This content has been produced for information purposes only. And as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver. Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, unless otherwise stated, as of the date of production. 
They are considered to be reliable at that time, but no warranty as to the accuracy and reliability or completeness in respect of any error or omission is accepted. They may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated. Copyright 2018. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company.